0: Amen. You guys can be seated this morning. It's good to be with you all. If you want to turn with me in your copy of Scripture to John chapter 8. We're looking at verses 41 through 47 this morning. This is our sixth or seventh um, sermon on the gospel of John chapter 8. And we began this chapter with Jesus' great statement where he stands before the people and says, I am the light of the world one of the most famous statements of our Lord in the Gospel of John, one of the ones that is most known, I am the light of the world. And we talked about that significance for Jesus as the Messiah, as the one that would come and bring a light to the Gentiles, a light to the nations, that this light is symbolic of salvation, of God's redemptive purposes coming to climax and culmination in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And this whole chapter has been this sort of conflict where the temperature in the room has slowly been rising, where they don't like what Jesus has to say, they don't like the message that he is bringing, the fact that he is saying he is from the Father, that he knows where he's come from and where he's going, this idea of the mission of the Son of God. They don't like this. They don't like him revealing their sin. They don't like him bearing witness about himself. And so the temperature in the room builds. But it's interesting, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, we saw that Jesus says, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins, that there's a necessity not only to believe in Jesus as the Messiah, as the one that would be from the Jews, that would save his people from their sins, but also as Yahweh, God himself, the I am, that I am. And we saw at the end of our passage a couple weeks ago that many believed in him, is what John tells us. Many believed the words of our Lord But as we saw last week, this belief is a temporary belief. It's a short-lived belief. It's a false belief, if we could say that. And we saw last week, Jesus reveals the hearts of these people. He, He cuts to the very core of the issue that they had trusted, not in him, but in their lineage from Abraham. They trusted not in the Christ, but in their lineage, their ancestry, their trust was in their sonship as Abraham's children, and this had caused them to become blind to their slavery to sin, that they were slaves of sin, not sons of God. So we talked about that last week, and we saw that to be, there's a way to be in Abraham's family, offspring of Abraham, physically, but not share the faith of Abraham, namely the faith in Christ the Messiah. That there's a way to be a physical son of Abraham, but not a spiritual son of his faith. And so today in our passage, we're going to see this escalate even more. (laughs) Where we thought the temperature was near boiling, it's going to boil over today and maybe even more in the next coming weeks. And what's going to escalate is not only the people's blindness, their deafness to the words of our Lord, but what's going to be revealed as we look at our passage this week is that their true father, the people that are saying they believe in Jesus, their true father is not Abraham. It's not even the God of Abraham. As Jesus will say today, their true father is the devil, the father of lies, Satan himself. And that even though they claim to be of God the Father, we'll see this morning that they prove that their true father is the devil. That they are slaves of sin, and that makes them children of wrath, children of Satan. And so we'll see today not only the truly depraved state of these people and us by implication, but through this, through this looking at the darkness of the human condition, we'll see the one who is truly from the Father eternally, the Son of God. And we'll also see that our only hope this morning is found in Him in being adopted into His family as sons and daughters of God set free by His grace. So, if you want to follow along with me, I'm going to begin this morning at verse 37 reading and we'll go to the end of verse 47. So let's pray this morning. Sorry, let's not pray. Let's read first and then I'll pray. (laughs) This is the word of the Lord. This is Christ speaking. He says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, Yet you seek to kill me, because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen from my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. But Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, We are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? And he gives the answer. (laughs) Whoever is of God hears the words of God, and the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we come before you um, with a very sobering, humbling text if we can be honest, Lord, a text that, um, that cuts to the very heart of who we are, that in our sin, we, um, we do not want to obey, we do not hear the words of the gospel, we do not hear the words of life, but we pull away from the light and, and run to the darkness so that our deeds might not be exposed. And so this morning, we pray, Lord, that you would illumine your word, your holy infallible word, and that instead of running from the light this morning, that by your grace we might see the light of Christ, the light of your word that does reveal our sin. It reveals our wickedness. It exposes every crack and crevice of who we are. But at the same time, Lord, it brings the great solve of the gospel, the great solution to our sin problem. And so I pray this morning, Lord, that you would speak to our very souls, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that you would open the deaf ears, and that you would cause us to be To be born again to see the greatness of our sin and misery and run to Christ this morning so we need your help to do this we need your strength this morning um we pray and ask that you would do this in the name of Christ we pray amen amen so yeah not not your typical um Sunday you know school morning text right this is a very sobering very um direct very confronting text and so it's important that we look at this closely So as we can see, there are some that would take these words and take them out of their context maybe, or would use these words in a way that is not right. Or um, we can also see that these are some of our words, our Lord's most direct words that He has, right? And so we have to be careful with how we handle texts like this, and that's, that's our goal this morning is to look closely at God's Word and glean what we can this morning. So there'll be three points this morning. First, we'll look at verses 41 um, through 43. We'll look at the one that is of the Father eternally. Next, we'll look at those that are of their father, the devil. And then finally, we'll look at those that are of the Father by adoption. So first, we'll look at the one that is of the Father eternally. So last week, we saw Jesus contrast the work of these people, these Jews, and the work of Abraham. And he's trying to show them that they're not doing what Abraham did. They're not looking forward to the Messiah. They're not looking to Christ who's standing right in front of them. They are seeking to kill him, the very opposite of accepting Christ. And in this veiled way, especially the verses that we read back again this morning, he implies that their father is not Abraham. He implies that they have another father that's not Abraham. And they pick up on this hint and so they go one step further they go one step farther and not to be outdone by jesus they call god their own father and we can see that in verse 41 they say we are not born of sexual immorality we have one father even god for these jews their pride as jewish people came not only from being of the line of abraham But if you go all the way back to the book of Exodus, we see that in Exodus chapter 4, Israel is called God's son, which is kind of interesting language. Usually son refers to an individual. In Scripture, son can mean a corporate people. This firstborn son, that is what Israel is called. And so they're laying down their trump card. They're saying, we're not just from Abraham. We're God is our father. We're called God's son in the book of Exodus. And so they're laying down their trump card, they're saying, you can't top this, you might be able to dispute this Abrahamic lineage, but you cannot dispute that we are God's son. Just look at Exodus chapter 4. And then they add this interesting point that comes before it. They say, we are not born of sexual immorality, or fornication is what they say. Why do they say this? This is sort of an odd statement to make in the middle of what Jesus is talking about, sexual immorality. Why would they bring this up? I think there's two reasons. The first one is more of a spiritual, in the spiritual sense of these words. In the Old Testament, fornication was identified with the sin of idolatry. That when God's people would go after other gods, when they would search after idols under every green tree and upon every hill, God would call that sin sexual immorality or fornication, that they were, you know, they were going after other gods. He would call this spiritual harlotry. And so they're saying, we're not children of idolatry. We're not like the Canaanites. We're not like the Samaritans. We're not like the Gentiles. We are the Jews and we worship Yahweh. And so they're just clarifying this point even further. But I think in another sense, there might be something more sinister going on in their words. Something more sinister, something more accusatory pointed at Jesus himself. That if we know the birth story of Jesus, how did did Jesus come to be born? Was he born by ordinary generation? No, he was born of the Virgin Mary, right? That the Holy Spirit overshadowed her. He was born of the Holy Spirit through Mary, and we see in the accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke that that this caused some issues, right? A virgin birth is not a normal birth, and she was not married to Joseph yet, and so we can see how this talk would have gone around town. Oh, there's Mary, you know. Everybody thinks to their eyes that she's, you know, she's had um, intercourse before marriage, and that that's how she became pregnant. But so everybody would have known this story of Mary, and when they say that we are not born of sexual immorality, I think this is a jab at Jesus. They're saying, look at you. You're the... You're, um I won't use the word, but we have a word that starts with B, <laughs> that, that is what we identify as someone that's born out of wedlock. And I think that this is a jab at Jesus being born of what they perceived as sexual immorality. And so in a sense, they're rejecting the virgin birth, they're mocking Jesus, and they're saying that he's born of fornication. He's not pure like they are. And this is the great irony of what they're doing. They're they're questioning Jesus' sonship. And this is what's so ironic about that, that they've set themselves up as the true sons of God. We are the sons of God. We are of the Father. They've mocked Jesus' sonship. They've said that because he was born in this way, that he is not legitimate. And in doing this, they are showing that they are not true sons. They are proving that they're not believing in Christ that they're not trusting in him, they're seeking to kill him. And we see that this is ultimately because they reject him as the true Son of God, the eternally begotten one. And that's why Jesus makes this amazing statement in verse 42, if you want to look there with me. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me. If God were your Father, you would love me. Jesus is basically saying, God is not your father. You think God is your father. You've claimed this, this, kind of, um, this idea that God is your father or that Abraham is your father. Both of those are false. Both of those are not true. God is not your father. And I think when we hear that, we can kind of think of ourselves, isn't everyone a child of God? Isn't everyone born in the image of God a child of God, right? And in one sense, we can say, yes, everyone born in the image of God is God as their creator. But what Jesus is talking about here when he says, God is not your father, he is speaking of their relation to the father, not by virtue of creation, but by virtue of new creation, that they are not new creations from God. He's not speaking about ordinary generation, but by this act of regeneration that they are made the children of God. Not by being born of Adam or Abraham or David, but being born of God. Not by ancestry, but by adoption. That even though God is their creator, because of Adam's fall into sin and our fall into sin, We are not born children of God in a spiritual sense, but as Ephesians 2 will say, children of wrath, enemies of God, and as we've read this past couple weeks, slaves of our sin. Why is this? How do we know this? What is the reason Jesus gives for saying that they are not really children of God? He gives one reason, and he says, because you do not love me. Because you do not love me, because they do not have love of Christ in them, they hate him. They hate the way that he's exposing their sin. He hates the way that they they hate the way that he is exposing their rejection of him. They are seeking to kill him, and he's pointing this out to their faces. They don't like this. They want to snuff out this light. But I just want to make this point because what Jesus does next. It's very important that we pick up on this and we look at the latter half of verse 42 because he says, if God were your father, you would love me. He's making a direct connection between God the Father and loving him. That to reject him is the same thing as rejecting the Father. Now, why is this so important and why can Jesus say this? Because normally we don't think like this. Here's an example. Many of you know Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player of all time, right? He had, a, he had a couple sons. He had a couple sons that played basketball. One of them played for the U of I, right? They were, not, they were okay, <laughs> but they weren't great, okay? They were not Michael Jordan. And so you could reject these, his sons, his biological children, and you could say, you know, I don't want him on my team, and you could at the same time say, I accept, I pick Michael Jordan. I would rather have him on my team than his sons, okay? So, Just because someone is someone's son doesn't mean that you can't reject them and not the father, right? Many of us, maybe you know someone or you like the father and not the son as much, or maybe vice versa, I don't know. But it's interesting, Jesus is linking these things together. He's saying, if you reject me, if you do not love me, it's the same thing as rejecting the father. And this is not just by virtue of Jesus' association, He's not just saying, I'm really closely associated with the Father, and so to reject me is to reject the Father. It is by virtue, not of affiliation or association, but by virtue of eternal generation. Eternal generation. What do I mean? This is a doctrine that the church has confessed for thousands of years, that the Son of God, the second person in the Trinity, is eternally generated from the Father, eternally begotten, as the great creeds of our faith say, as our confession says as well, that the Son is eternally begotten, eternally generated from the Father. What what does this mean? Why does Jesus say this? Well, if you look at our text, He implies this, and and He says it explicitly. He says, If God were your Father, you would love Me, for I came from God. Or the old King James says, proceeded forth, proceeded forth from God, and I am here. Jesus is not just claiming to be associated with the Father, as these people were saying God is our Father, it's not a one-for-one creature-to-creator distinction that Jesus is talking about here. He is claiming to be one with the Father in His nature and in His being. That just as the Father is God, so am I God. Or, as he'll say in a couple chapters, I and the Father are one. One in nature, one in essence, one in being. So that to reject the Son is the same thing as rejecting the Father not because of his mission as the Messiah, right? We know Jesus took on, uh, the Son of God took on flesh. He lived the life that you and I could not live. He walked the earth. We're reading about it in John chapter 8. This is what we call the incarnation that he took on flesh and always did the Father's will. But it's to reject the Son is... In His incarnation, that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about this idea that He is eternally begotten of the Father before the world even began. That this is what we call the doctrine of the Trinity. This great mystery that God is one. And He is God in three persons. Or we can say it like this. That the one, infinite, eternal, immortal, unchanging, simple and divine holy God is Father, begetting Son, and breathing out the Spirit, that that is what God is. This is not an eternal, this is not a generation like you and I think of generation where a, a father begets a son. It is a eternal generation, an uncreated generation, and this is what we call eternal begottenness or eternal generation and this is the language that the church has held on to for thousands of years to communicate that the son is god has the full divine essence is is distinct from god right the son is not the father but the son does have the whole divine essence that this coming forth that Jesus is speaking about, this proceeding forth from God did not happen in time and space in his birth when he was born of the Virgin Mary. It happened in eternity past before time began. And this idea of Christ's eternal generation being one with the Father is the whole grounds of Jesus' statement. This is what one century theologian Hilary of Portier says. He says this, For the one and only reason that Jesus gives for loving the Son is this his origin from the Father. Not by virtue of his incarnation, but by virtue of his eternal generation. And love for the Father is only possible for those who believe that the Son is from him in this way. That. It is not like God. The Fa- you know Mormons have this strange doctrine of God, where there's sort of God the Father, and He has two children, Jesus and Satan, and so there's kind of this battle between good and evil. No, we believe in the Triune God, one God in three persons, as we sang this morning: Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That if Jesus was just a good messenger, if He was just a human, earthly person not eternally begotten, they could reject his message. They could take it or leave it. They could say, well, we like what you have to say and we don't like what you have to say. But if he is the Son of the Father, very and eternally God, then to reject him is the same thing as rejecting the Father. And so if you can think of anyone, there's many people today that say, well, you know, I like the Father or maybe the God of the Old Testament, but not, I reject the New Testament. This is not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, To reject me is to reject the Father because Jesus is saying he is very and eternally God. And so we see the implications of this as we go to point two this morning as we look at those who are of their father, the devil. That Jesus gives the reason why they cannot hear his words. He gives them the reason why they do not understand. The reason why they are seeking to kill him is because they are of their father, the devil, that their true father is not Abraham. Their true father is not even the God of Abraham, but their father is Satan himself. Now, this is obviously a reference to their spiritual condition, right? We know that Satan was a good angel. He was created good, but then by his disobedience fell from his righteousness, a fallen angel, that he is a spirit, does not have a body incorporeal, And this is not saying that these people are literally, physically descendants or offsprings of Abraham, you know, in some Nephilim kind of way. We can talk about that later. But they are spiritually proving to be his children. They are spiritually proving to be children of devil. Why is this? He tells us why. Because their will, their desire, and their nature is to do their father's will. What does he say at the end of Verse 44. Your will is to do your father's will, your father's desire. Or we can say it like this, fathers bring forth sons that are like them. That's what one commentator said. Fathers bring forth sons that are like them, that just as Satan is the father of lies, so do his children oppose the truth. Just as Lucifer was a murderer from the beginning, so do those under his influence seek to snuff out the light of the world. And that's what Jesus goes on to say. As we read in verses 44 through 45, he says, He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so we see this great contrast between Christ, the perfect sinless Son of God, who only tells them the truth, and their father, the devil, that's causing them to reject Christ, reject His message of life, and not only reject His message of life, but seek to kill Him, seek to snuff out this light of the world. And while these words are extremely convicting, they're extremely forward, Jesus is not pulling any punches, (laughs) I mean, if you walked up somebody on the street and said, you are of your father, the devil. I mean, what kind of look would you get from that person? Jesus does not pull any punches. He does not, he does not go around the issue. He is looking right at them and he tells them the true state of their spiritual hearts, that they are of their father, the devil, because they are seeking to do his will. They're proving themselves to be children, not of Abraham, not of God, but of Satan himself. But in doing this, in exposing their true state, this is actually a grace of our Lord. This is actually a grace of Him. Because in telling them the truth, He's doing this not just to convict them, but to graciously and lovingly expose the darkness of their very souls. That they are darkened in their understanding. And He's seeking to expose their great need for a Savior And he does that through these very sobering words. And then we see finally in verse 47 that he gives the answer for why they cannot believe. He gives the answer for why they cannot hear. He gives the answer for why they cannot see the truth, the light of the glory that he comes to bring. And even though they hear his words physically, they do not believe his words. And we see that even though he tells them their spiritual state, even though he tells them what's really going on, they cannot hear the truth. They do not come to the light. And he tells them why. He tells them why they cannot hear. He tells them why they will not believe. He tells them why they're not coming to the light. He says it is because they have not been born of God. They are not of God. They have not been born again. They have not been born from above. And this is what we read in verse 47. He says, whoever is of God hears the words of God. And the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. This very much echoes what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He says, you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you've been born again, born from above. That there is a blindness, there is a deafness to the words of God that is so great that it takes God himself to overcome that darkness, to overcome that deafness. That no human ability, no human will, no human lineage, no bloodline, nothing but God himself can come and open the ears of those that are deaf and open the eyes of those that are blind. That by nature in Adam, all that have come from Adam cannot hear the words, of God, cannot hear the word of the gospel. Now, what do I mean? Do I mean physically? (laughs) I mean, you all can hear me. None of you have hearing problems. Everyone that has ears can hear the word of the gospel, can hear the call to repent of their sin, hear the call to come to Christ, repent of their sin, and have faith in Him. Everyone can hear that physically. But there's a difference between hearing with the physical ears and hearing with the ears of the heart that there is something that God must do. This is what we call the effectual call of God, this call of God in our very souls, that where the Spirit of God awakens our eyes, awakens the ears of our hearts to hear and believe the gospel. This is what Titus will call causing us to be born again, that we are given a heart of flesh, and that's replaced our heart of stone, that we are now able to hear the gospel, but not only hear it physically, but respond to it in faith. Respond to it with repentance and faith. And this is the grace of God by which we are adopted into God's family called children of God, not children of wrath, but sons and daughters of the God Most High. So this is what we must see this morning. It's vital that we see this truth because if anybody has a leg up, it's the Jews. It's the people in our text. They are born from Abraham. They had the covenants. They had the promises. They had the Old Testament. They went to synagogue each week. They were morally upright. They followed the Ten Commandments, or at least sought to. They were born into the right family. They had externally everything going for them, and yet Jesus calls them sons of Satan, children of the devil lost in their sin, deaf to his words, blind to the light of the gospel. And if this is true for them, children of Abraham, how much more so for us who are Gentiles. And so I think when we read passages like this, we like to think, oh, I'd do better, you know, there, I I would do better than them. You know, Jesus wouldn't call me a son of Satan. He wouldn't call me a child of the devil. You know, I'm, I'm better than that. And in our sinfulness and in our blindness, it's easy for us to think that, but we wouldn't. (laughs) We are in the same place as these people in our sins apart from God. We are just like them, blind to our sin and slaves to our sin. By nature, children of wrath, not children of God. By nature, slaves of our sin, not slaves of righteousness. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves and the question that is put forward in our text this morning is, what's the remedy? How does someone go from a child of Satan, of their father, the devil, to being of God? Because Jesus says there are those that hear his words and are of God, proved to be born of God. What's the remedy? What's the solution for this? It's none other than the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ, the true Son of God, the one who is unable to be convicted of sin because in him there is no sin. He is perfectly righteous, perfectly good, not born of ordinary generation, but born of eternal generation from the father of the womb of Mary, that in the fullness of time he was sent forth, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters of God. And not only that we might be born of God or born again, but that we might be adopted into God's family. It's not just this, salvation is not just this act where God gives us a new heart and says, good luck, you're on your own. As we read this morning, it's the adoption of God is where he brings us into his family. We have all the rights and privileges of children of God. That Jesus, as the true eternal Son of God, when we are by faith united to Him, we get all the benefits that He won. That just as Jesus in His flesh is called the Son of Man, the true Son of God, so we, by faith are called sons and daughters of God. And as we read in our passages this morning, in the assurance of pardon and our confession of sin, that this this new birth, this adoption has effects. It doesn't just change our hearts one time, but it changes our hearts forever. That what did we read in John chapter 3? That the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Not only the penalty of our sin right he on the cross he was crucified and paid the penalty for our sin but he came to crush the head of the serpent freeing his people not only from the penalty of their sin but the power that sin had over them that those who were once slaves of sin that could only do that which is sinful christ has come to set us free from our sins where before we made a practice of sinning we continued in our sin because we liked it, (laughs) we enjoyed it. We, we, We might have thought it was wrong or maybe we got caught sometimes for doing something that we shouldn't have, but we continued in it with little to no conviction, with no regard for our rebellion against our Creator. But now, those that have been born of God, born again, as John says in 1 John, that we've been regenerated, we've been given a new heart, that we not only love God and our brothers, in Christ, but we seek to obey His commands. And what's he say? For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. The commandments of God are not burdensome, that God has given us new hearts, that the law of God, which used to condemn us, which used to convict us, as this perfect standard of what we could not achieve, the law of God is now this great joy that the people of God get to do in love and gratitude for what God has done for them. It's not a standard, a step ladder by which we get to God or get salvation. It's the work of God in our hearts by His Spirit, convicting us of our sin and causing us to walk in His ways. And they're not burdensome to us. That doesn't mean it's not difficult to follow God. <laughs> that doesn't mean at times it's not hard to obey but it's not burdensome. It's not more than we can bear that God has given us his spirit indwelling us and we have Christ, the great high priest who intercedes for us when we sin. And so we can actually practice righteousness. We can actually love our brother, not because ourselves, not because we're so great, but because God is so great. And this can be seen, right? That's what John tells us that you will see and you will know who are the children of God. And so may this convict us this morning, may this show us where we need to be more Christ-like, but ultimately may we see the One who came to cause us to be born again, who save us from our sins, and as um, Colossians says, transfer us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. That's our only hope this morning. Let's trust in Christ and rest in His promises. Lord, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You for Christ. We thank you for these convicting words, Lord, that in our sin, we are lost, we are of our father, the devil, we are under his influence and sway, and no matter how hard we try in our flesh, we cannot overcome our slavery to sin. But in the fullness of time, you sent forth your Son, the perfect Son of God, the the true and living God, the second person of the triune God, the son of God, you sent him in the fullness of time to take on flesh and to not only live the life that we could not live in full obedience to the law of God, never failing at any point, but he came to suffer and die on the cross for our sins, becoming accursed for us, taking the wrath of God, and punishment that we deserve so that we might become children of God. Not by our works, but by the work of Christ alone. And so we come this morning looking to Christ, resting in his promises, knowing that to even hear the word of the gospel with faith, we need an act of God to open the eyes of our hearts and reveal our need. And so this morning, where there are deaf ears, where there are blind eyes, Would you open the eyes of your people? Would you help us to see our need for Christ this morning and rest in his finished work alone? We pray that you would do this by the work of your spirit, and we ask for your help this morning. In your name we pray, amen.